Um, well, welcome. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Kelsey Walega. Um, I have the privilege, alongside Kyle Rohan, to start a new young adult ministry here at Grace Commons, which we're very excited about. Uh, this last Sunday, we had our first event. We had a grill out, and I would say that Kyle and I were encouraged. People showed up. There are young adults in our midst. They showed up. The people came. Um, and some of you have asked, what, what defines a young adult? We don't know. So we made up of our own definition. So we're just going to say post-college to, I don't know, somewhere in your 30s. That's, we don't really have a cap. If you feel in your heart like you're a young adult, you can just come. That's fine. We're not going to turn you away, okay? Um, and this Wednesday, um, if you are in that category, we're just going to be at Rayback Collective uh, Wednesday afternoon from 4 to 6. So come join us, hang out. We would love to see you there. So, um, and this morning, we get to continue our series, Bedrock, where we're going through our core values. And I, this morning, uh, continuing our theme, uh, get to preach on youth, which I think they think I'm qualified to speak on now that I've birthed a youth into the world. Um, Holland's about eight and a half months old right now, and she's crawling. She's into everything. She's grabbing everything and putting it into her mouth. And so I am watching her at all times, and my mind is tired. So I'm going to be sticking close to my notes today. And I was thinking about it, and I think I'll probably just be sticking close to my notes for the next, I don't know, 18 or so years. So my mind is just... Yeah, y'all are laughing because you're like, yeah, you have a, quite the journey ahead of you. So um, anyway, our value of youth states that as a church, we follow Jesus's example of inviting and discipling younger generations. So we follow Jesus's example of inviting and discipling younger generations. And just so up front, I get all my cards on the table I believe that we as Grace Commons Church, both staff and congregation, I believe that we all have some room for improvement in this area. As a congregation, I think there's some room for improvement because it can be easy to remove yourself from the inviting and the discipling of younger generations because there's a kids ministry. We've got a student ministry, college ministry, now a young adult ministry with paid staff that do the work of the inviting and the discipling. And it can be easy to remove yourself and say, hey, someone else is taking care of it, so I don't have to. But as a staff, I'll say we have some room for improvement because we haven't always made it easy or accessible for the congregation to get involved with the inviting and the discipling of younger generations. So know that in saying there's room for improvement for us all, this isn't just me saying, standing up here saying, you all need to be better, figure it out. This is something that as a collective church, we can work on to live out our core value of inviting and discipling younger generations. And know too that this isn't just a random value that our church has. Jesus' vision for his disciples is that we would all be involved in this task of the inviting and the discipling of younger generations. And like we heard from the Deuteronomy passage this morning, throughout the history of God's people, we have been instructed to teach younger generations about God and about his way of life. So if we want the generations after us to follow the way of Jesus, then it is up to us as individual disciples to show them the way of Jesus. It's not merely enough to rely on those who get paid to do the work. The task of every person who proclaims the name of Jesus and follows in his way is to invite and disciple those younger than us. And my hope by the end of the sermon is that you just jump out of your pew and find the nearest young person to come alongside and disciple. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew 18. 
verses 1 to 14. So let me, I even numbered my pages today so that I wouldn't lose track. So here we go. All right, Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. This is what Matthew records. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. That is a doozy of a passage. Um, And I'll note here that where we are in the Gospel of Matthew, we're not too far away from when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Jesus is finishing up his earthly ministry, and he's seeking to impart some wisdom and ways of living into his disciples. And in these verses today and the ones that will follow, Jesus is giving a vision for what he desires for those who follow him, namely how they should interact with one another and how they should treat one another. Jesus is giving a vision for what it looks like to invite, to welcome, and to disciple. And in this section of Matthew 18, there is a particular focus on children and little ones. So we're going to go back through the passage verse by verse. So Matthew starts and he says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this isn't recorded here, but it's probably between the lines somewhere. I just imagine that Jesus just like sighs and shakes his head and is like, Gracious, you guys just don't get it. Because the way of Jesus, it has nothing to do with seeking greatness for yourself. Seeking greatness implies that you are concerned with yourself and only yourself and your own status and your own honor and your own well-being. Seeking greatness means that you cannot possibly see those around you because you are so focused on yourself. And if you cannot see them, you must not have any concern for them. So Matthew continues and he says that Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
So Jesus calls over this child, puts the child among the disciples, gotta be one of the first sermon illustrations, thought about bringing Holland up, but she's loud. So I think that would just be distracting, so maybe another time. Um, But anyway, Jesus puts the child among the disciples and says, unless they change and become like this child, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And at this time, children were at the bottom of the social hierarchy. Children had nothing to offer society. If anything, they were just seen as free labor. Which is kind of, that's why Cody and I haven't gotten chickens yet. We're just waiting for Holland to be a few years older. Then we'll get some chickens. Kidding. I'm not kidding. So children at this time, they were not respected. They were definitely not sought after to bolster your greatness or your power. They were small and weak and completely dependent on the adults around them. So Jesus is saying that even though in this society where you all think that children have nothing to offer, they have no value, he's saying in my society, in my kingdom, children are of the utmost importance and value. Not because they've done anything great, not because they are the most important or powerful, but they are great because Jesus says they are great, and Jesus says they have value. Children aren't just potential adults who will one day hold value, but they currently hold value and greatness simply because Jesus says they do. So then the instruction to become like children is to accept a lowly position, to no longer seek greatness for ourselves, to no longer try to bolster our own reputation and status and power, but rather to humble ourselves and realize that we are completely and utterly dependent on Jesus in the same way that children are completely and utterly dependent on adults. So Jesus continues and he says, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And there's a slight change in phrasing here. Jesus goes from speaking about this one child to saying a child like this. So Jesus is now moving beyond this one child before them into a broader category of people that this child represents. And most commentators agree that Jesus is still speaking of this child, of literal children, but also anyone who could be considered weak or vulnerable or unimportant. And for these disciples, that would have meant welcoming those who cannot bolster their reputation, their honor, or their status in society. Welcoming would mean that they were no longer welcoming the best of the best to make themselves look better, but rather welcoming those who could do nothing for them, those that were weak, unimportant. And we are to welcome little children and any child like this in Jesus' name, and in so doing, we are welcoming Jesus himself. And the word welcome here is a Greek word, dekomai, which means to receive favorably, give ear to, embrace, make one's own, approve, educate, not reject. In some sense, it's a word of hospitality. But one commentator noted that it's not just a term that means to extend hospitality to someone, but also to accept that person as infinitely infinitely valuable, to treat someone as warmly as if you were welcoming and receiving Jesus himself. Welcoming is more than just a kind hello at the door. Welcoming is more than being nice by introducing yourself to whoever you are sitting next to. Welcoming is making someone feel valued and at home. 
So then a question for us to consider is how can we create a space here at Grace Commons that the next generations feel welcomed and at home in? And it's a question I've been wondering about. And I ask this question, I don't have an answer, so know that. But I do believe it's a question worth considering. Are we willing to grow and change as a church so that the generations younger than us feel at home with Jesus and feel at home within these walls? And in these first five verses, Jesus is seeking to get across to the disciples that the mark of true human greatness is not seeking greatness for yourself, but rather humbling yourself and taking the lowly position of a child. Greatness is remembering that you are wholly dependent on Jesus. Even more greatness is when you meet someone like this child that Jesus set before the disciples and you embrace them. You welcome them. You take them in. You don't just acknowledge them, but you treat them as highly valuable. And here's what I've come to discover about these five verses recently. It's that, yes, Jesus is answering the disciples' question about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is certainly redefining for the disciples what greatness in his kingdom looks like. And also, Jesus is teaching the disciples what it looks like to be a disciple. Jesus is showing the disciples what it looks like to become like him and do what he did to follow in his ways. He is saying, in the same way I have invited and welcomed you, in the same way that I have invited and welcomed this child, now you go and invite and welcome others. Jesus is teaching the disciples about discipleship. And this becomes even clearer as Jesus continues in his teaching. Jesus goes on and he says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. So Jesus here switches from talking about this one child to one child like this and now to the little ones who believe in me. So Jesus is now moving beyond literal children to now include everyone who believes in Jesus. So Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it means to be a disciple and also how to disciple those who are also his disciples. And he is explicitly saying that we should not cause them to sin. Many translations here instead say to not put a stumbling block in any disciple's way. And the Greek word is one that I'm not gonna try to pronounce, but it means to trip up, to entice to sin, or to cause someone to begin to distrust or desert who they have come to trust. So what Jesus is saying is you better not cause anyone to sin, and you better not cause anyone to fall away from faith and trust in me. And if you do, Jesus said, it would be better for you if a great millstone were tied around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He doesn't literally want us to be drowned, but he is speaking in this way so that we understand the seriousness of causing someone else to stumble into sin or fall away from faith entirely. The little ones are so important to Jesus that to cause any amount of spiritual damage to them is a capital offense. And one commentator noted that discipleship was never going to be an easy proposition, but that is no reason for anyone to make it harder by irresponsible behavior toward fellow disciples. And then Jesus says, woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. 
Woe to the one by whom the stumbling blocks come. And I've so often read this woe as Jesus being angry or Jesus being frustrated. But woe is actually a sigh of grief. Jesus is saddened and he is grieved when those who follow his way, those who are his disciples, cause other disciples to fall into sin or fall away from faith. This grieves Jesus. And Dave touched briefly on this in his sermon a few weeks ago, but he mentioned that Gen Z doesn't always want to be in the church, not because they hate God or Jesus or religion, but often because of the hypocrisy they see in those who proclaim to be Christian and follow Jesus. Younger generations are skeptical of church because they see church leaders time and time again getting caught up in some sort of moral failing or sin, whether it's infidelity in their marriage, mistreatment of women, or even, sadly, the abuse of children. And younger generations are skeptical of church because they witness individuals who proclaim the name of Jesus, but then speak negatively or even treat different groups of people, whether it's those in the LGBTQ plus community, those of a different religion, or even younger generations. What younger generations are witnessing are those who say they follow Jesus, but then their words and their actions towards others seem damaging and suggest otherwise. Jesus cares so much about those who follow him that he doesn't want anyone to falter or stumble in their faith because of another disciple. Jesus desires for all to know him, to follow him, and to find life in him, and he doesn't want us to be the cause of others stumbling or even the reason that someone chooses to walk away from faith entirely. Jesus is saying that our words and our actions, they matter. And Jesus taught that we would be able to know if, there, if a tree is good or bad by its fruit. It will either be bad fruit that's marked by selfish ambition, strife, envy, disorder, or following the wisdom of the world, or it will be the fruit of the Spirit, marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what Jesus is making clear is that it's not simply enough to welcome the little ones in. It is up to us as disciples to make sure that these little ones do not stumble. In order to disciple younger generations, it's imperative that we ourselves are growing in our discipleship to Jesus. It's imperative that we are learning the way of Jesus and living out the way of Jesus and seeking to bear good fruit through our words and through our actions. And Jesus continues on. If I can find it. And he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So here again, Jesus is not being literal, but speaking of how severely we should treat the sin in our lives and how we should cut out the things in our lives that cause us to fall into sin or fall away from faith entirely. Not only should we watch out for how our lives or our actions cause others to stumble, but part of our discipleship is also watching out for ourselves and making sure that we do not stumble. Jesus is not instructing us to literally cut off body parts, but is rather instructing us to do whatever it takes to eradicate sin out of our bodies and our lives. He desires for us to follow him and his way of being. Jesus is instructing us as individual disciples to figure out and work out for ourselves where our particular danger of stumbling lies and then take appropriate action to cut it out of our lives. 
Being his disciple means that we follow his wisdom and his ways instead of our own desires. And then Jesus finishes out and he says, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So see to it that you do not look down on, that you do not despise one of these little ones. And to look down on or to despise, in many ways, is the opposite of welcome. It's to condemn or to think nothing of someone. To look down on is to not take seriously someone or to give very little interest in them. And here Jesus lays out that you should not look down on them. You should care deeply for them because if one of them has gone astray, you should do whatever it takes to get them back and bring them back into the community. They are of the utmost and highest importance and we should treat them as such. And early in verses six and seven, Jesus warned against causing a disciple of his to stumble either into sin or away from faith entirely. Now he's addressing what happens if someone does fall away. And what should happen is that we should do whatever it takes to bring them back into our midst and back to faith. And it's not because Jesus is concerned with numbers on a Sunday, but rather it's his concern for every single little one, every single person, young or old, they all matter to God and they should therefore matter to all of his disciples. The task that Jesus has set before us is to invite, to welcome and to disciple and to bring back if necessary. And younger generations will learn how to become disciples, certainly from learning through scripture, through prayer, through spiritual practices. But it's vital that we don't forget that younger generations will also learn how to become disciples of Jesus through witnessing our discipleship to Jesus. I'm gonna pull Daniel Susanbach. I'm gonna say that again. It is vital that we do not forget that younger generations will learn how to become disciples of Jesus through witnessing our discipleship to Jesus. I've been thinking about this a lot in the last eight months of having Holland around, who you hear her during the sermon. You know where she is. But Holland, she's learned how to smile because Cody and I smile. She's learning how to eat because she sits at the dinner table and she watches Cody and I eat. She's learning how to move her body because she watches the older kids at daycare move their bodies. She's even using, learning how to use her mouth and make sounds as you hear her through witnessing Cody and I talk to her and read to her. Holland is watching me and she's learning from me and that is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, y'all know, your parents, because as she gets older, she's going to see me lose patience. She's going to see me get angry in traffic at the person who won't let me over even though I am flawlessly using the zipper technique to merge, okay? People, did people not learn how to zipper in driving school? It infuriates me. Anyway, okay. It's gonna get me worked up. Okay, Holland is going to see my pride when Cody and I get into a conflict and I insist it's all Cody's fault. I have no fault here in this conflict. And she's going to hear, potentially, colorful words come out of my mouth from time to time as I run into things or maybe step on one of her toys. But my hope 
is that as I continue to grow in my discipleship to Jesus, she sees that when I lose patience, over time I become quicker to take a deep breath and apologize if necessary. I hope that when she sees me get angry in traffic, that she also hears me course correct and admit that the reason I'm angry actually has nothing to do with this other car, but everything to do with something else going on in my life. And I hope that when she sees Cody and I in conflict, that it isn't just my pride that she sees, but that she will also witness me own up to where I was wrong and where I can improve and be different. I, as a parent, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to sin. I'm going to stumble. And maybe even I will be the reason that Holland sins and stumbles. But I hope that I am also a part of the reason that Holland chooses to follow Jesus. I hope that she sees enough good fruit in my life that my actions and my decisions are not the reason that she falls away. Whether we like it or not, and whether we always realize it or not, younger generations are looking to us to teach them and show them how to navigate their lives. And as disciples of Jesus, we follow his example of inviting, of welcoming, and discipling younger generations. So you may be wondering, though, how you can practically do that here at Grace Commons and maybe even in your own life. You're in luck, because we have several opportunities around here where we actually need your help to welcome, to invite, and to disciple younger generations. So we have a new young adult ministry. Kyle and I just started this ministry literally a few weeks ago. Um, So to be honest, we don't really know what all of our needs are yet. What we do know is that eventually we're going to start small groups. And maybe if there's enough interest, even a young married small group. So are you someone that would love to lead a small group of young adults or even young marrieds as they navigate this season of life? Or if that isn't up your alley, are you someone that loves to host, to open up your home, to extend hospitality? Would you be willing to open your home to young adults and host a meal? For college ministry, they have lunch about once a month at the Annex House on the Hill. So are you someone with the gift of service or hospitality who would be willing to make lunch for a bunch of hungry college students who, yes, are hungry for free food, but also they love interacting with individuals who are older than them to learn from them? And then Alan Balf, the new student director who gave the kids message this morning, He has some gaps that need to be filled before the school year begins. Before Tuesday night programming, or school years already began, so whatever, you get it. Before Tuesday night programming, the middle and high school leaders gather together for a meal, and he needs individuals to help provide a meal for these leaders who are discipling those younger than them. He's also looking for individuals willing to serve on the student ministry committee, he, this is an opportunity for parents to get more involved and help shape how this ministry can best invite and disciple teenagers. And the last thing he's looking for are individuals who are musically inclined that can assist Alan and Joe in mentoring and discipling a student-led worship band. And last one, kids ministry. In order to keep the nursery open every Sunday throughout the year, they need more help holding babies in the nursery on Sunday mornings. This is a huge help to parents, okay? And it's one reason why so many families, young families are able to come here and worship with us. So if that's interest to you, that's an opportunity to help you make young ones feel valued and welcomed and loved and safe. 
and they also need help for their Tuesday night kids programming. They'll be meeting every other Tuesday night throughout the year. They need help to make this night run so that kids feel welcomed and loved and can be discipled. And for all of these ministries, here's a slide that you can see. It's got contact information for all. If, you, if the slide goes away, there's always our website. Just liter- email anyone and we'll direct you in the right place, okay? And if none of these opportunities feel like something you are able to do right now or even something that you are gifted in or passionate about, don't forget that many of you are parents. You're grandparents. And even if you aren't, there must be some area of your life where you are around younger generations. So if there isn't a place you are inviting and discipling in a formal way here at Grace Commons, how are you doing it? in your everyday life with those that are around you. A core value of ours is youth. And Grace Commons is a church that seeks to follow the example of Jesus in inviting and discipling younger generations. And we are certainly doing this as a church, but we also have a little room for improvement, and that's okay. Younger generations will learn how to become disciples of Jesus through witnessing our discipleship to Jesus. Younger generations are looking to us. And as disciples of Jesus, our task is to follow his example of inviting, of welcoming, and discipling those younger than us. So, as a disciple of Jesus, how will you seek to disciple, to invite, and to welcome those younger than you?